0: I want you to come with me to the sanctuary of Rexdale Alliance Church, where I was serving for 36 years, but this was way back in December 1995, December the 1st. We had just finished our annual Christmas banquet, at least the food part of it, and I was simply not in the mood for Christmas at all. When our associate pastor got up and he began to lead us in singing, I didn't want to sing. I was unmoved and reluctant to even change. I was kind of irritated by the fact that an external calendar-imposed event, December 1, now suddenly dictated that I need to get into the Christmas spirit. And I began to wonder how many others around me and in the church that I was a part of were beginning to feel that way. How do we recapture the wonder of Christmas? These were some of the questions that were going through my mind. And in my case, it was even sharpened because... Three weeks from now, I was going to get up in the pulpit and three times preach the Christmas message to the congregation. I didn't have the option of staying away and remaining disengaged. How was I going to do that with any kind of authenticity and passion as opposed to just fulfilling a job? Well, we're in Advent season once again, third week of Advent. And I don't know where some of you are. Maybe you're in exactly that situation, irritated by the arrival of an externally imposed expectation. New Year, Easter, and now Advent, I'm supposed to be in the Christmas spirit. Now you don't have a preaching engagement, perhaps. Most of you do not. Hopefully Sawyer isn't feeling that way because he's got to preach. But some of you, you don't have that expectation, but you're still not in the Christmas spirit. You need to recapture the wonder of Christmas. So what do you do if you feel that way? Shrug your shoulders. Dig your heels in like I was in the beginning or that kind of brings us now to the third woman in this four-week Advent study that we're doing using the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. So I've already walked you through Rahab and through Ruth. And he's done a great job of that. I'm sure that both of those were illuminating for you. Today we come to that well-known character, Mary. Just before I came in, someone on the outside said to me, hey, you got the easy one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in some senses easy, but in some sense it's not. Mary is different. Rahab was a Canaanite. Ruth was a Moabite. Mary was an Israelite already belonging to the people of God. So the salvation emphasis that so naturally came out in the study of Rahab as a Canaanite and Ruth as a Moabite joining themselves through faith to the people of God wouldn't apply in Mary's case at all. And yet it was Mary that came to my rescue in the days following December 1st, snapped me out of my doldrums and helped me to recapture the wonder. And as I weave her story with mine, i hope you'll find some connection points to your story wherever you are at that time so that as this advent season continues you will in a unique way to yourself begin to recapture some of the wonder of the christmas story back to my story what did i do that day well i prayed i said god if worship is truly my response to your divine initiative then you're going to have to do something about this so that when i get up and preach three weeks from now, I can tell them about the great things that you have done as opposed to churning something out just with my own intellect. But I realized that along with rolling that burden onto God, rightly so, I at least had to place myself in, in places and situations where my heart could be recaptured. Jonathan Edwards, that great philosopher-theologian, America's greatest philosopher-theologian, say he said, you need to put yourself in the path of allurement. At least place yourself in those situations where God can capture your heart. It is the work of God, but our job is to cooperate with that by placing ourselves. For me, that meant continuing to read Scripture, showing up at the other worship services in between then and the Christmas Sunday when I was to preach. Of course, it helped that I was the pastor who was supposed to preach those sermons, so I showed up anyway, continued preparing for those. And I would also do continue doing what I would normally do every Christmas, read some Advent devotionals and... I would always read C.S. Lewis's Grand Miracle Chapter on the Incarnation. I was reading Malcolm Muggeridge's Jesus Rediscovered. And this particular Advent, I was reading Max Lucado's book, When God Came Near. And about four days into this process, I read these words. Wide awake is Mary. The pain has been replaced by wonder. She looks into the face of the baby. Her son, the Lord, his majesty. At this point in history, the human being who best understands who God is and what he's doing is a teenage girl in a smelly stable. She can't take her eyes off him. Somehow Mary knows she's holding God. So this is he. She remembers the words of the angel, his kingdom will never end. He looks like anything but a king. His face is prudish and red. His cry, though strong and healthy, is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby. And he is absolutely dependent upon Mary for his well-being. Majesty in the middle of the mundane. Holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entering the world on the floor of the stable through the womb of a teenager And in the presence of a carpenter, can I read that again? Divinity entering the world on the floor of the stable through the womb of a teenager in the presence of the carpenter. She touches the face of the infant God. How long was your journey? And I was riveted by those words. How long was your journey? God was already beginning to answer my prayer, only I didn't know it was happening at that time. Obviously, Lucado's question that he attributes to Mary in his book, How Long Was Your Journey, we don't find that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the nativity stories. But we do find something that actually is of the same ilk, something that comes very close to a question like that. We actually read it in Luke chapter 2, verses 17 to 19. And when they saw it, the shepherds, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I want to talk about this for a minute. I want to park on that one word. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Treasured, pondering these things. Let me walk you through those. The word for treasured. Probably captures, best captured by the idea of preserving. Like some of you like to preserve jams and jellies. We even call them preserves, right, in some parts of the world. You you do all kinds of stuff to them, cooking them, steaming them, sealing them, to preserve their integrity, keeping them from decaying away. So applied metaphorically, treasuring involves protecting something in our mind so that it doesn't get Away or diluted with the passage of time. Then comes the word pondering. Now it's interesting that you shift from a verb to a participle, a little bit of English grammar here. Treasuring is a verb, pondering is a verb, but treasuring, treasured by pondering when the participle qualifies the verb so that it actually tells you how she treasured. Mary treasured. And not pondered as something different, but Mary treasured by pondering. And the word for pondering carries the idea of carrying, throwing through things side by side and together. In other words, Mary was putting this alongside this and making connections. The treasuring process involved this pondering of putting different things together, making a connection out of them, and that helped preserve that. And what was it that she was throwing together? These things. What were these things? The most immediate these things was what the shepherds came, because that's what it says. The verse before that says, The shepherds made known to them the saying that had been told them. Well, what was the saying that was told the shepherds? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people, because today in the city of David there is born for you a savior. And you will find this baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. These were the things that came and told Mary. So the first of these things was the angelic announcements to the shepherds. Good news for great joy to all people. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And then undoubtedly she probably put that together with Gabriel's words to Mary herself. Mary, you are highly favored. You're going to conceive a child in your womb and he will be a son. And he'll be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will rule on that throne forever and ever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. How will this be, Lord? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the thing that will be conceived within you will be called holy, the son of God. Oh, and by the way, Mary, your cousin Elizabeth is in her sixth month. She who was barren is now pregnant. What is impossible with man is possible with God. (laughs) That was the second set of these things that she threw together, pondering. Then, of course, Joseph, hearing the Words of the angel in a dream. Don't be afraid to take her to be your wife. She's conceived by the Holy Spirit. You will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Thus will be fulfilled the prophet Isaiah's words. A virgin shall conceive, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's the third these things she threw into the mixture. And then there was a fourth these things, which is what happened when she saw Elizabeth. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to see me? For when the baby in my womb heard your voice, he leaped with joy. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of the womb. So from the shepherd's words to Gabriel's words to Mary herself, to Elizabeth's words to Mary, and then the angelic words to Joseph in a dream. These were the things that Mary put together. And out of that pondering came a magnificent song that we call the Magnificat. he, Wright, New Testament scholar, puts it this way. It's one of the most famous songs in Christianity. It's been whispered in monasteries, chanted in cathedrals, recited in small remote churches by evening candlelight, and set to music with trumpets and kettle drums by Johann Sebastian Bach. Mary and Elizabeth, like so many Jews of their time, searched the scriptures, soaked themselves in the Psalms and prophetic writings which spoke of mercy, hope, fulfillment, reversal, revolution, victory over evil, and of God coming to rescue at last. All of that is poured into this song like a rich foaming drink that comes bubbling over the edge of the jug and spills all round. Almost every word is a biblical quotation such as Mary would have known from childhood. What a beautiful picture of treasuring by pondering these things. That's what Mary did. I want to take that, treasured by pondering, by putting things alongside each other, and apply it to the question that Lucado attributed to Mary, holding up the child, how far have you come? You see, she's the only one who knew with absolute certainty that this was a child born of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those who believed, probably everybody else doubted, she knew for sure. So that question was at the forefront of her mind. How far did you come? And that launched me for the next several days on this process of treasuring by pondering, by putting things together. What the scripture said of the incarnate Jesus and putting that side by side with the pre-incarnate Jesus to give me some measure of the gap. The gap between who he was in all eternity and who he was in his incarnate state, especially as a baby. And that's what began to slowly fill me with wonder. And I want to walk you through some of these things that I pondered. And I want to invite you into that pondering right now so that your journey to recapture the wonder might begin right now. Right now. Let me begin with Solomon's prayer when he dedicated the temple way back in the Old Covenant, 1 Kings chapter 8. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. The universe today is 15 billion light years. <laughs> that, that's the amount of the distance that light can travel at the speed of 186,240 miles per second for 15 billion years. I mean, we can't even comprehend that size. And it is set up. The Lord God, Jesus in his pre-incarnate said that those heavens, the highest heavens, can't even begin to contain him. And yet he came into one little speck called earth that is so infinitesimal that you can't even see it. And then went even further down into the embryonic state inside a woman's womb. How far did he come? Then think of Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it everywhere he will. God directs the hearts of kings wherever he wants. And there's a beautiful story in the Old Testament where Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is coming to attack. And he doesn't, hasn't decided whether he's going to attack Jerusalem or he's going to go in another direction, towards Egypt or some other place. And He's actually going to cast lots reading tea leaves, the equivalent of reading tree leaves. And you know what God says? Nebuchadnezzar is going to read some tea leaves, guys, but the lot is going to come to Jerusalem. <laughs> Even a random casting of tea leaves read by an unbeliever is going to make him do what God wants to do. That's the extent to which the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. <laughs> That's saw Jesus. And yet here he is, embryonic in his mother's womb, trudging all the way to Bethlehem because an earthly king issued a decree and said, go get a census. That's how far he came. Then consider Hebrews chapter 1 verses 10 to 12. And you, O Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. That's how pre-incarnate Jesus rolling up the massive heavens like a little bed sheet and casting it aside. Look at him now as a baby, wrapped in linen clothing. And how many times did Mary change him from one set of clothes to another? That's how far he came. Then consider Psalm 50, verses 10 to 13. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all all that moves in the field. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all its fullness is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of courts? Notice the irony. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. And yet in Malcolm Muggeridge's magnificent words, here was Jesus feeding on Mary's breast. And he put it this way, God sucking voraciously at a human breast. A God who said, if I were hungry, I wouldn't need to tell you. That's how far he came. Then consider Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The entire universe, 15 billion light years long, is held together by the power of his word. And yet here he is, needing to be carried everywhere by Mary, by Joseph, by other members of the family. How far did he come? Then look at Isaiah chapter 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Imagine this with me, folks. His leg is big enough for the entire earth to not even be a footstool. That's how massive the leg is. Now can you imagine him as a baby learning to walk? Can you imagine Mary saying to him, come honey, come. And Jesus taking those first shaky steps and then stumbling to the ground and bursting out in tears. Mary picking him up, kissing him making it feel better and said come sweetie try again and jesus it's staggering isn't it staggering that's how far he came we're not finished yet john 1 1 to 3 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. This is the word. The the logos. In the Greek language it means the word. Making immediately equal to the Genesis 1 word that created. His word was powerful enough to create in everything. And now can you imagine baby Jesus learning to speak? First words Dara and Mama in Aramaic mispronouncing words, lisping, Mary and Joseph patiently teaching him how to speak Aramaic. The one whose word was enough to make the whole universe come into being. That's how far he came. And then Exodus chapter 10. Remember the 10 plagues? God versus the gods of Egypt. One plague after another to show them God is God. So all of Egypt, the most powerful kingdom at that time, was humbled. And now here he is as a baby, running from Herod to Egypt for protection. How far did he come? And then think of him as he grew a little bit older. Apprenticing under his father, like every young Jewish man did, learning carpentry. He who made the whole universe by the power of his word is learning how to saw a piece of wood, is learning how to hammer. Did the hammer slip sometime? Did it bang a thumb like you and I have? And did you have to suck his thumb did Joseph have to patiently teach the Lord of the universe who made the universe how to make a mortise and tenon joint? That's how far he had to come. We're not finished yet. Think of his education. Think of Mary reading and explaining the scriptures. Come, Jesus, let's have family devotions together. I need to teach you, Jesus, about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the great covenants that god made with our people here let me tell you about isaiah let me tell you about the suffering servant and jesus let me tell you about isaiah 53. memorize that jesus memorize isaiah 53 and then jeremiah he told us about a new covenant that's coming jesus imagine the self-emptying of jesus so he could learn scripture from mary and joseph and from the teachers in the synagogue he who wrote and inspired the scriptures himself that's how far he came did mary include all of this in her treasuring and pondering i don't know but i did and by then I was well on the way to recapturing the wonder of Christmas and the Christmas sermon was being written all these weeks. What's the connection point to you? That's my story and Mary's story, working side by side. There are a couple of bridge points. First of all, this is important. Christ the living word was formed in Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowing her. But listen, that wasn't a one-off story. That is what is intended to happen to every single one of us. Really? The power of the Most High overshadowing us so that Christ is formed within us. You know why? Jesus is called the last Adam. Why? Because he didn't come into this world as God, he came into this world as fully man. And in the incarnation we see the beginning of a whole new stream of humanity. What the first Adam was supposed to do and be, live in total radical dependence on God and loyalty to God, but did not do because the asserted independence of God, Jesus did as man, living in total dependence on God, loyalty to God submitting his will at every stage and that's why he's called the firstborn the firstborn of a whole new stream of humanity and it is, happens in exactly the same way the spirit of God comes upon us and Christ is, begins to be formed within us And lest you think that I'm stretching the point too much Paul carries that on later on when he says to the Galatians oh Galatians he said I am in the pain, and he mixes his metaphors, I am in the pain of childbirth, what, until Christ be formed in you. It's the task of a pastor. It's the task of all of us who are in any way leading, teaching other people to let Christ be formed in us and to help other people experience Christ to be formed in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is intended to happen to every single one of us. And then after Jesus was born and Mary continued to look at Jesus and as he kept growing, she still kept pondering and treasuring. That didn't just end while she was carrying the child. It continued afterwards. So in the same way, Christ in us formed by the Holy Spirit and then Christ outside of us in a relationship with him continuing to shape us and mold us into his image. That's intended to happen to every one of us. That's what Advent is supposed to be. It's not just the reliving of the past, which it is, as we have done so far. But it is a re-experience that advent in the present. Reliving in scripture is much more than remembering. It is actually re-enacting the past so it becomes reality again. It's another fresh season to once again experience the Holy Spirit coming upon us for forming Christ within us. And will happen exactly the same two ways, word and spirit. The spirit of God overshadowing you, God's word that will be so. With God, all things are possible. God's will be done. That's why Mary said, let it be according to your word, by the power of the spirit. Word and spirit work together throughout the scriptures. Way back in Genesis chapter 1, it was God's word and the spirit brooding over the darkness. Spirit and word working together over darkness, shaping and filling. Shaping the empty, shaping the shapeless, filling the empty. Word and Spirit in the book of Acts. We all know the day of Pentecost, right? Oh, yeah, that's when the Holy Spirit came. Yeah, for us. But the day of Pentecost was already an existing day in Israel's worship calendar. And on it, they celebrated the giving of the law. Isn't it interesting that God chose to send the Holy Spirit on the day that they were celebrating the giving of the law? Word and Spirit working together once again. And so it is today. The written Word of God that reveals the living Word of God to us in the hands of the Holy Spirit, accomplishes this miracle of the incarnation of Christ within us. And then the shaping of us into the image of Christ. So just as Mary pondered her scriptures so well, and threw things side by side, that's what you and I are called to do. That's how this miracle of of incarnation takes place, not reincarnation. Probably the most defining habit in my life that I got started on in 1984 was to read the scriptures every year. I'm not talking about studying them. Can't study the whole Bible in a year. I still haven't finished after 57 years. But just reading through the whole Bible, I'm in my 38th year now. It just provides raw material for the Holy Spirit to do this work of incarnation. Because Word and Spirit then work together. That's why Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This whole metaphor of eating the book like eating bread. What happens when you eat bread? You chew it. Your your saliva and your digestive juices break it down, extracting the nutrients from there. And then they they begin to build up into tissues and organs, and the whole person begins to grow up. This is how we devour the word of God it's more than just information to our mind. It's something that is living, that gets inside of us. That's what Hebrews means when it says the word of God is living and active. That's why this idea of eating the book is carried through way back in the Old Testament. Jeremiah said, when your words came, I ate them with delight. Ezekiel was given the scroll and told to eat it. John in the New Testament was given the scroll and he ate the scroll. And then they went and preached the word of God. So this kind of whole body internalization of of, uh, the word of God within us, by just taking in large amounts on a regular basis, set something in motion. And over the months, the years, and the decades, the spirit is slowly continuing to form Christ within us because he's got the raw material. You're putting yourself in the place of being captured. And he's got the raw material. Pondering this, putting along that, treasured by pondering, treasured by pondering. Months become years, become decades. And Christ is being formed within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Spirit. Do all this in prayer. My journey began on December the 1st when I said, okay, God, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to help me recapture the wonder. I can't do it by myself. It's Word and Spirit, remember. And so you read the word independence on the Spirit, consciously inviting that Spirit to do that work of shaping and filling through the Word. And in fact, a wonderful way to merge the two of them together is that the scriptures that you read can themselves become fuel for the prayers that you pray. In fact, one of the best ways I've known in my life to do this treasured by pondering is by actually devouring that word and then using the very words of God to address my words to Him. It's like learning a whole new language. You might want to even consider doing it with this message this week. Download it again. Take those scripture references that I read. How far did he come? Think about that on your knees. Talk back to God. Express your wonder, your awe. Or if you're not there yet, your needs. Help him to widen that gap in your understanding. How far did he come? Let that how far get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Until you are completely overwhelmed and your intellect can't even take it anymore. That's when wonder begins to break up and you break out into mystery. Your own magnifica. Borrow the songs, the old hymns and the new ones to express how you're feeling at that moment. I close with this story. A friend of mine who's a pastor in this church, just retired recently. He told me a story some time ago. He said, "So, he said, here's what happened. He said, somebody gave him a copy of that. By the way, I did end up preaching the sermon three weeks ago. I called that sermon, How Far Did He Come? and basically just shared with him my journey. And it had been copied on those cassette tapes that was long before, iPods and whatnot. And years later, a lady in this congregation had come and she was driving back to London. She said, I want something to listen to. So he said, I gave her this tape. I said, listen to this one. She called him on the way there she said to her her pastor, I had to pull off to the side of the road. He said, who who is this person? Where did he get this sermon from? He said, I was so completely overwhelmed by how far my Jesus came. I had to stop driving. I had to pull off on the side of the road. Now, was that because I was great? It's what God did. That's when December 1st, in answer to a prayer to help me recapture the wonder. That years later, a cassette-recorded version of that prayer had the power to stop somebody dead, stop on a highway, pull them over to the side because they couldn't even see because of the tears in their eyes. Just imagine, baby Glenn, if every single one of you began this process like Mary of treasuring by pondering these things that are in the Word. The fruit, the impact that can possibly flow from them. Let me pray for you. God, please don't let the power of this stop. We're we're done if you stop. We are desperately dependent upon the Word and the Spirit. Jesus Christ, form yourself in us afresh. We probably don't even know what we're asking for when we pray that prayer. I know I don't. Mary didn't have a clue, but she was lost in wonder. Just help us to respond like she did. May it be to your servant according to your word. But oh God, oh God, we do it not because it's it's drudgery, not because we somehow reluctantly have to say yes in this act called obedience, but because there is a revelation of wonder that is awaiting us that will bless us and others. That's the faith we want for today. In Jesus' name, amen.